Hello, everybody. This is Charlie, and this is the podcast To Hell and Back. And uh, I want to welcome you. I'm sitting in my office in Northampton, Massachusetts on a Sunday morning. This podcast, just to get started with this, uh, though today's topic is wise mind, but preliminarily, let me just say this podcast was originally suggested to me as something to do by Perry Hoffman, who was the president of NEABPD, was a close friend and co-conspirator early in my DBT days when we developed DBT on an inpatient program. And the organization she founded, NEABPD, uh, still exists and stronger than ever, and it continues to support this podcast. So I just want to shout out to them and let you know that they have a fabulous and relatively newly designed website, www.borderlinepersonalitydisorder.org, where you can find an amazing amount of resources like videos for families, about families, topics about borderline personality disorder and DBT, the oversight of the Family Connections program where family members teach DBT skills to each other, and also a new, a new offshoot of that, uh, dealing with trauma and suicidality. And so just wanted to let you know about any ABPD and thank them for them their support. The other person I want to thank is Nicole Helen. Nicole was my co-host from last June, June of 2022, to uh, November of 2022. So we had six months together of doing the podcast, and she brought uh, just an incredible energy, um, thoughtfulness, a number of resources to make it better, her own talent and background from uh, several angles that really complemented mine and uh, made it uh, fun, interesting, engaging to do the podcasts. Um, in November, I made a decision based on personal reasons that are really uh, more personal than I would share here, um, to take a hiatus from the podcast and reconsider the direction I was going in it. And then I decided to go forward as a solo podcaster again, and that's what I'm doing now. And really, this is only the second podcast since I resumed. The first one, which had already been planned, was with uh, Andrea Gold about uh, her first uh, her finishing her first year of treatment of uh, breast cancer. So I just want to thank Nicole for what she's done, and if you have any opportunities to check in with her in the future and see what she's doing. I just commend it, recommend it to you. So let me move on and tell you about today's podcast. Uh, I wanna talk about wise mind, uh, this sort of um, foundational skill. Maybe I'd call it a platform skill because upon this platform of wise mind sit, um, most of the rest of the whole DBT skills package. So it's a, an essential prerequisite to the rest of DBT, and it's taught at the beginning of skills training. And I want to go into it more deeply for a couple of reasons. One, I think that um, 
I think it's hard to appreciate uh, what it is, uh, have different perspectives on it, uh, see the value of it, see that it requires way more than just saying, I'm doing wise mind or I'm in wise mind, that there's a whole process. Uh, and, and also I wanna talk about it because of a relatively recent failure of mind to use wise mind in circumstances where it was desperately needed. And, uh, and so it highlighted for me, not only the value of wise mind, but also the uh, uh, difficulty sometimes, especially under pressure to use it and, uh, and the consequences, the difficult consequences of not using it. So that's probably why I'm unpacking it now, but I wanna take it into more depth than one usually gets in a, a DBT, typical skills training or, or, or training of any kind. So what am I gonna talk about? I'm gonna talk about where wise mind fits into DBT, what it is, and various perspectives on what it is, um, various features or qualities of wise mind when you do achieve it or when you do activate it. Um, and along the way, I'll be talking about different ways to get into it. And, uh, and then uh, it's, I'll say something brief about its relationship to being dialectical, because I think they're closely connected. And uh, finally, I'll come back and tell you a little more about this challenging situation that I was in where I didn't use it um, at the end of the, the podcast. And then I'll let you know what's coming in future podcasts. So that's really the agenda for today. So where it fits in DBT, I've already started with. It's, uh, it's in the first module, the uh, mod module, the one of four modules, uh, the one that has to do with learning mindfulness skills. And uh, it's a sort of a, at the core of that idea of, mod of that module. In some ways, the ultimate goal of that module is to push yourself in the direction of being in wise mind so that you can cope with whatever's coming up in the moment in your life in a wiser fashion, whether it's to make a decision, whether it's to tolerate distress, whether it's to pay attention to your emotions and transform them if need, if need be, whether it's to become more skillful in interpersonal relationships or in your family, wise mind is just a great optimal place to be. So that's where it fits. And one teaches it in DBT again and again. Uh, after each skills module, one returns to the mindfulness skills, which includes a review of how to get into wise mind. So perspectives on what uh, wise mind is, there's several perspectives I want to cover. One is the most standard one that's taught in a DBT skills uh, class, which is the uh, that 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 mindful that um, wise mind sits at the interface of emotion mind and reasonable mind, otherwise by some people called rational mind. It's it's a it's a state of mind in which you are remain in touch with your emotions, but not controlled by them. 
it's a state of mind in which you are in touch with what reason or rational thinking would tell you about a situation, but not totally be controlled by rational thinking to the point uh, that, that emotions are left out, values are left out of the, of the situation. And there's a third component, there's emotion mind, rational mind, and one wants a foot in each of those minds, so to speak, while facing what's coming up in your life. Uh, but the third is intuition, which is, a, which is an interesting thing itself. I mean, that deserves a whole podcast. What do you mean by intuition? But this uh, idea that with intuition, it, it helps you mm, as you understand the state of mind you're in, uh, have a sense from wherever this comes that it, you are now aligned with your values, you're aligned with your inner self, whatever that means to you. And you're aligned with the circumstances of your life, the factual circumstances. So it's kind of like this barometer of, is this the right thing for me? And there's no criteria for answering that question other than your own contemplation, your sense of, all right, this, yes, this seems right to me, this feels right to me. You wake up the next morning, it still seems right to me, it still feels right to me. And so um, intuition is kind of your other factor. Um, so you try to try to get it going with, uh, and, and the emphasis on being mm, in, within touch of your emotions and within touch of your reason and also guided by your intuition. Um, emphasizes that wise mind is a state where you're kind of balanced, you're grounded, you feel centered. It's you, you maintain it for a little while. You check in on it again. It still seems about right. Um, and uh, it becomes your kind of like place to go for uh, for a wise decision um, or a wise course of action, whatever that is. Hmm. Um, in, in teaching it as this balancing act between reason and emotion and with the use of intuition, you know, it gives you a kind of a strategy. Uh, if you're facing a challenging situation, uh, you could ask yourself, wait, am I in touch with my emotions? Um, do I know how I feel? And yet I'm not overtaken by them. I'm not deciding based on my emotions. I'm deciding based on something else in me that sort of supersedes my emotions, but it makes use of them. And same with your reason, your logical mind. And guided by intuition, like I say. So are you in touch in these various ways? you can kind of like check that out and ask yourself, review those questions when you're trying to think of, wait, is this a good avenue for me to go in? <laughs> for instance, I was once working with a, an adolescent girl who lived at a boarding school and uh, she was very angry at the administration of the school for some decisions they made with respect to her. 
from what I understood, her anger was pretty understandable. And I listened to it. I validated her anger. I helped her understand where it was coming from and where it might go. But she had the urge over and over again to meet up with the uh, headmaster or principal in the hallway or in the principal's office and, and tell her to go fuck herself. And uh, so I had to be checking her and saying, look, because she, she had learned DBT skills. Is this a an emotion mind decision? Is this a rational mind decision? Let's look at it from an emotional point of view. She said, it's absolutely emotionally appropriate. She's been a jerk. She's done this to me and I'm really angry and I should give her a piece of my mind. Okay, got it. That would be driven by emotions. What about reason and rationality? I don't know. Probably I'll get in bigger trouble, right? There would be consequences. That's sort of a rational thought process. And, and, and so we went through this in terms of also what her values were and how she wanted to treat people. And so by being able to step back from her urge and ask these three questions about it, having to do with her emotions, her reason and her intuition, um, she was able to kind of um, arrive at a different place where she could have these feelings, experience these feelings, communicate them in a place that wasn't damaging to her, namely therapy and also uh, with friends of hers, um, but not necessarily act in that way because of the consequences and her intuition telling her that that probably isn't a wise mind idea, a good idea. Another perspective. So perspective number one about wise mind, it, it's a state of mind. All right. Notice that there's something interesting about wise mind as a skill. Now, most skills aren't nouns. I mean, mind is a noun. Wise mind, I guess, is an ad adjective and a noun. I mean, almost all skills are to do things, observe something, describe something, cope ahead with something, accumulating emotions, uh, building mastery, uh, problem solving a problem uh acting opposite your emotional urge um asking for something saying no to something you get the point nearly every skill is something you do and then we say that wise mind is a skill it might be more appropriate actually if you're going to think of it as a skill to call it wise minding um and then you could ask, well, wise minding, what would wise bodying be? Uh, and I'll come back to this in different perspectives of wise mind because it should include the body. But now to um, perspective number two, wise mind is a location. How do I get to that? Well, if you, if you look at Linehan's manual and you know how she taught wise mind, how to get into wise mind, she had uh, eight suggested mm, imaginal exercises to do to get yourself to wise mind. And they're in the skills manual handouts that all patients look at when they learn the skills. And it's interesting what these things are. They, they, several of them have to do with getting to a certain location. So I'll give you one example. It's uh, to imagine yourself to be a thin flake of stone 
that lands on the top of a pond where there's some turbulence at the top and the and the and it goes back and forth and back and forth it's a little heavier than water so it slowly sinks through the water pushed back and forth by a current current and it gradually settles it gradually settles it gradually settles until it gets to the soft bottom of the pond and in Linehan's way of talking about it that soft bottom of the pond is getting to wise mind so it's a location that's quiet that's deep, um, still, peaceful. And it's after a process of going through some more turbulence and then arriving at the bottom and going down, which I think is interesting. Because the second example she uses similarly has some similar trajectories in it, which is you imagine yourself uh, going down a well deeper and deeper into the earth, though you can also imagine the earth being yourself. So you're going down into yourself, into yourself as earth on a spiral staircase, going around and around step by step, slowly getting deeper, it's getting quieter, you're getting further away from the surface noise and you're moving towards the bottom of the well. And when you get to the bottom of the well, that's the equivalent of wise mind. She also highlights that with this one, it, you can sometimes think that you've gotten to the bottom of the well because you arrive at sort of a platform and there's water there. Um, but actually sometimes that's a trap door. Sometimes that's a false bottom. And you stop there thinking you're at wise mind when actually you might be still in emotion mind, but you're just justifying emotion mind by saying you're now at the bottom of the well. So this is another metaphor in which wise mind is depicted as a location that's deep, that's going down, that's quiet, settled, in both cases dark, if, that, if that's relevant. There's another location-oriented strategy, which is if you want to ask wise mind, your own wise mind, a question and find out what does wise mind think about your question, you can imagine yourself, or I guess you could do this in real life, but I think it's an imaginal exercise of imagining yourself out in the mountains and you come across a canyon. And it's a kind of canyon where if you shout out into the canyon, you can hear your echo come back to you. And the idea here is that you imagine yourself shouting your question into the canyon and somewhere there in the canyon is wise mind and you wait to hear the answer sort of echoed back to you. So you say, what does, what does wise mind think about X? And then you wait and you listen in your imaginal mind and you wait for an answer to come back. And the interesting thing about this is, of course, it's again defining a location. It's a it's a far away location. It's an it's an vacation. It's a location you can't actually quite see where things are coming from. You can't quite see what is sending the message back. So there's something a little mysterious about this one, a little mystical. And I think in some examples, when Linehan talks about eliciting wise mind, there is a kind of mystical nature to it. It has one foot planted in the world of behavioral skills and one foot planted in mysticism, 
or mysteriousness or uh, spirituality. And it's a little bit like praying to a God that you can't see. So you call out into the canyon and then you, and then you wait to hear something back. And another interesting thing about this that I think is an important perspective on wise mind and how mysterious it is, is that you don't know when you're going to hear back. You might hear back in one minute. Why, you know, you might hear back from the canyon, oh, here's what you should do, and it would consolidate your thinking, and you might then move forward. Or you might uh, not hear uh, for 10 minutes, or you might not hear for an hour, or you might not hear by tomorrow. You might have to wait. And who knows, maybe when you're somewhere, four days from now, you remember asking that question and somehow the answer comes back to you. But I think it suggests, and Linehan suggests by that, that this process of finding wise mind is a, somewhat of a mysterious one, but you have to make a deliberate effort to find it. So you're reaching out, you're sending out a message, you're waiting for an answer, and you're allowing time to go by, you're allowing there to be space and time and a pause uh, through which you then might find out. And I think that really helps you circumvent the tendency to just in some linear way to ask a question and think there'll be an answer. The answer is going to be more complicated than that. And this is one of the overlaps with dialectics, in my opinion, is when you try to find a dialectical synthesis to a situation in which there are two opposing truths. You pose that question, you name those truths, you see the validity of both truths, and then you allow time, space, and whatever you need to do to help you come to a synthesis, which might not be anything straightforward at all, okay? So wise mind is a location uh, in this respect. And I think you could similarly go beyond, and oh, one more interesting location is uh, that captures some of these same qualities, but a, and a little more quickly, is um, you focus on your breath. So while breathing in, you focus on the in-breath, but then before you shift over to your out-breath, there's a little pause, maybe just brief, a little bit like the tide has come in and now the tide's about to go out and there is a moment in between. And you try to focus your attention on that moment and that moment only. So you're kind of looking in between your in-breath and your out-breath as a kind of a mysterious moment where you might find wise mind. And so again, uh, it has some of these same qualities of looking in between things, looking through things and not getting just a straightforward answer or straightforward sort of linear um, protocol for how to find wise mind. There are a few others as well of examples of this, but I wanted to highlight that in some ways Linehan would teach DBT um, wise mind as a, a location as well as as a state of mind and, and then I'm going to say as a skill as well. Now, once you start to say, well, what other locations might you find wise mind in? Well, you might find wise mind in a certain uh, place in nature that you go to that's kind of 
uh, away from things. It allows you to take some space. It allows you to take some time. It's quiet. There are not too many things interrupting you. Uh, it's beautiful. Uh, it's secluded. So you might have your own wise mind retreat place like that. It might be a certain house or corner, a certain spot, a room in your house or a certain corner in a certain room in your house uh, where you go in order to come closer to your wise mind. It might be in your body that you find wise mind. <clears throat> and people are different about this. We have to acknowledge neurodiversity when it comes to accessing wise mind is that different brains are going to find wise mind in different places and with different practices. So it's why it's good to have a number of different possibilities. So you might go somewhere in your body and find that somewhere down below your chest in your solar plexus is where you get wisdom or in your chest or in your belly or uh, somewhere in your mind between your two eyes. There's a third eye and that third eye is the eye of wisdom. Um, might be a certain position in the body. Maybe maybe you're a yoga practitioner and you get in certain positions and in a certain position, you feel like you can access wise mind. It, it, uh, I was thinking it might also be that you discover wise mind or find it or move towards it by being in a relationship, a certain relationship with a person with whom, when you speak, you feel wiser. You feel like there's something about talking with this particular person. So there's a something that gets going transactionally with certain person where you come to wisdom. Of course, that might be a psychotherapist. It might be a friend. It might be a counselor of some kind. might be a family member, whatever it is. might be going on a walk with your pet. I mean, I've, I've felt like as a child, Frankly, honestly, uh, there were many times when my dog, whose name was Pete, and I would be out together in the yard or on the way between school and home or just being together somewhere. And the presence of Pete uh, somehow transformed me into being wiser. So, you know, you have these tokens uh, of wisdom uh, that might reside in a relationship, in an animal, in a location. Let me talk about another perspective. So what have I said so far? I've talked about wise mind as a state of mind and wise mind as a location and a little bit about wise mind's relationship to dialectics. But now let me say wise mind as a form of energy is a little bit different way of thinking about it. None of these are incompatible with each other. This is more how when I've learned from the teachings of Thich Nhat Hanh, and when he talks about, and it wouldn't be, there's nothing that he talk, talks about in this respect that's different than probably most other Buddhist teachers. But he talks about be, uh, practicing mindfulness. Practicing mindfulness by uh, bringing your attention to this one and only moment, the present moment, whatever it is that you are doing, wherever your mind is focused, just being there. It's kind of interesting. You're trying to open up to the a broad approach to your life, calling upon a lot of resources in your mind and in your body and in your environment. 
by going in through one thing, focusing on one thing. It might be focusing on your breath or one aspect of your breath or something in your body or some sound that you're hearing or some bite of food you're eating or just taking a step when you're walking and you're focused entirely on that one step, that by focusing on one thing entirely, that you are generating, as he talked about it, mindful energy or mindfulness energy. And that that's a skillful thing to do over and over and over again during your day. I've taught that in a previous podcast once calling it Pac-Man mindfulness, where you just sort of, you do little bits of mindfulness during the day at a certain moment, whether it's 10 seconds, 30 seconds. And if you do that several times, you're just sort of, you're sort of like building mindful energy, which then can be spent on whatever you face. So he talks about mindful energy and, and he talks about getting there by being mindful of one thing at a time and letting go of your attachments to how you think things should be, or how you think you should feel, or what you think you should think, or those kinds of attachments. It's letting go of those things, including letting go of judgments, and just letting things be, and just noticing them as they are. That that supposedly simple act of mindfulness then generates mindfulness energy. It also, he says, it strengthens your capacity to concentrate. And so now you have a mind our entire entire self that has more mindful energy and it has more concentration capacity. And once you have that, you start to notice things that you weren't noticing. He gives an example that if you start to just notice your breath and that's all you're doing, you're not looking for enlightenment, you're not looking to be the Buddha or anything, you're just focusing your attention entirely on the breath, again and again and again, bringing it back, that, um, that by doing that, you start to become aware of, of any number of things that keep crossing your mind. Important issues in your life that you start to get a greater perspective on. And he calls that insight. So you're getting more insight. And one insight he was talking about in one teaching was you have the insight when you focus on your breath, I'm alive. I am alive. Because you figure if you're breathing, you're alive. By definition, you're alive if you're breathing. So you notice your breathing with all you're trying to do is notice your breathing, but actually it brings you in contact with this really important uh, fact of life, which is that you are alive. Whereas most people who have lived are not alive. And of course, someday you won't be alive. And so it's uh, it's just brings an insight about that. It might bring an insight about something, something else, about the rhythms of your life, about what's important in your life. It might reorder the priorities in your life in that moment, which wasn't your intention, but it be, you become wiser and you develop some insights uh, by not looking for those insights, but by noticing when, when they come up, okay? So that's a type of, of mindful energy. And, uh, and I, I just find it interesting to think that when you're, when you're under tension, strong emotions, impulse, urges, when you're at a difficult moment in your life 
and you don't know what to do. And you're sort of pushed to the right and to the left and all over the place. That what this strategy does is a little bit what is done by what's called the stop skill in DBT, is that you stop moving, stop going in direction A, B, and C. You settle down, you stop. And then the T of the word stop stands for take a step back. And all of these practices that I've been talking about involve taking a step back. You, in a way, are staying connected to your experience, but you're also detaching yourself a little bit from your experience. You're finding yourself in that quiet place, that centered place, that grounded place that's slightly removed from the surface, and yet it's still right there. And so the stop skill is to stop moving around. Don't think you're gonna find your solution at the surface. Take a step back, detach yourself a little bit, but stay connected to yourself and the different aspects of the situation. And then the O in stop is, is, stands for observe. And I could say that if I, spelled stop differently, it'd be S-T-W-P, because the third step could be get into wise mind. Is the, and, and of course, observe is a mindfulness skill, a step towards getting into wise mind. You just observe what's actually going on in your body, in your mind, in your environment right now, here and now, and letting go of other things. And so the stop skill includes the O. So it's kind of like stop moving around, take a step back, detach yourself a little bit. Now observe what's going on. And you're already moving into wise mind when you do that. That's the sort of practical application of wise mind. And in that skill, it's just called observe. And then the final step is the P in stop, which is to proceed mindfully. Proceed as guided by wise mind, okay? Next, I want to give a different perspective on what wise mind is. The wise mind is sort of, you could imagine it metaphorically, is a form of a vehicle. You get in the vehicle and you uh, travel in the vehicle and it carries you forward thoughtfully, mindfully, sometimes slower than you were moving before, um, accessing things that you were leaving aside before. And it can carry you forward. And, uh, um, and, and to carry you into your next steps. So what might be your next steps? You might get into wise mind, vehicle, the wise mind vehicle, the wise mind mobile, the wise mind mobile, and you might, um, you might then travel into radical acceptance of reality. You might travel into acting opposite the urge, the action urge that goes with the current emotion because you decide that's not a good way to go, it's not effective or, um, uh, yeah, there's a whole skill on that. You might decide it'll move you in the direction of using distraction or self-soothing, ways to get yourself through the current emotional crisis without making it worse. 
it might it, it might be you get in that vehicle and it moves you into skillful approaches to other people when you were about to not be very skillful. And you might rely on the DBT interpersonal skills in doing that or just something else that you're aware of what would be a more skillful approach. And you might transform your emotions and observe your emotions. You could almost use this vehicle to travel to any other skill set within DBT. And you could use it to be dialectical. You could stay in your mindfulness mobile or your wise mind mobile and, uh, and appreciate that you're stuck in a situation where there are two opposing truths, which you cannot seem to reconcile in the moment, but you're going to allow yourself to stay in wise mind and allow a transformation to take place that may lead to a synthesis that you can find your way through uh, without dissing either truth. And one more perspective on wise mind, which is sort of the perspective that starts with wise mind and DBT, wise mind as a skill. Wise mind is something to do in spite of the fact that it's mind, that it's not listed as a verb. So it would be wise minding. And uh, I think that what, what to use it as a skill, I think I've already given you the essential ingredients and there's two types of ingredients I would emphasize. Of course, I would emphasize the, the emotion mind, rational, reasonable mind and wise mind, the states of mind, but to really activate it as a skill, I'm thinking of two things. One that I've already talked about is focusing your attention mindfully on whatever is right there with you right now. Whatever you are doing, do it mindfully. Whatever you're seeing, just observe it. Just observe it. Maybe describe it with bare bones language, just capturing actually what are the facts of the situation. Maybe it's something in which you can participate in the moment. Maybe it's dancing or singing or a conversation or reading a good book or cooking or taking a walk. And somehow you embed yourself in that experience. You don't just observe it or describe it, but that's another mindfulness skill. So you use Linehan's six mindfulness skills in order to evoke mindfulness in order to generate wise mind. And just by doing that and doing different things, you might find yourself in wise mind, especially if you, if you have practiced under less stressful circumstances over and over again, and then you can rely on this practice when you need it under stressful circumstances. This includes the skills of noticing if you become judgmental to sort of let go of the judgment and sort of reframe the judgment. Uh, look for when you have a judgment, just look, let go of the part of the judgment scenario that isn't valid. It's your sort of like add-on of some global statement of what's bad or what's good or something like that. And you just identify the valid facts of the matter, including the facts of the matter, meaning how you feel. So you can break down a judgmental statement into valid statements within the, within the judgmental statement, but letting go of the one thing that turns it into a judgment because that clouds your mind. That takes you away from being mindful, takes you away from seeing things as they truly are in this moment.
and brings in a different and distorting perspective. And being one mindful is this is the fifth mindfulness skill. So to be one mindful is just to narrow your focus to one thing at a time. As I just said that sentence, one word at a time. With full attention to each one, that would be a mindful way of saying those words. Rather than trying to crowd everything together or do everything at once, which leads to being overwhelmed and again clouds your awareness of reality, it clouds your access to your own wisdom. And so, yeah, be one mindful and be effective. Do just what you need to do to accomplish what you intend to accomplish rather than getting caught using a given situation for some other purposes of, of declaring what's great, what's terrible, what's right, what's wrong, what's just, what's unjust, what's fair or unfair. If those things get added on to something simpler that you're trying to do, they can cloud your wisdom at that point. Even if later you do want to take your focus one mindfully on being fair and promoting fairness, which could be a practice in itself. So there's that whole packet of skillful ways to get into wise mind, which is to practice those six mindfulness skills that Linehan defined for DBT. And the other way is to use her eight or eight plus uh, imaginal strategies to bring your mind closer to wise mind, to ask that question in the canyon, to go down to the bottom of the spiral staircase, to go down to the bottom of the pond, et cetera, go in between your in-breath and your out-breath and the other recommendations that she made. These are like direct invitations of how to bring your mind into wise mind. Um, so I wanted to uh, cover that and let's see what else. I wanted to say a couple more things before I tell you a little saga of myself and my own failure to use wise mind, which is I, um, the, the features and qualities of wise mind. I want to summarize these, even though they've been, you might say, scattered through the comments I've already made, because it sort of organizes my mind, that there are these five qualities of being in wise mind. Quality number one, you're in the present moment that your focus is on the here and the now, on this and this only, and therefore you allow your whole self to be brought into engagement with this one moment and not be sent off on a wild goose chase into the future, which is not here yet and never will be, or into the past, which is history now, or into your worries or into your judgments. It's just appreciating here and now and living there with all of yourself. That's the present moment. So that's quality number one of wise mind. Quality number two is to be non-attached. What are you non-attached to? You're non-attached to your emotions. In other words, you don't have to have an agenda of prolonging a positive emotion and making yourself only have a positive emotion or not letting a positive emotion go away or, or being biased against a negative emotion and trying to avert it or get rid of it or suppress it 
or something, you're not attached to certain emotional states. You take what comes. Similarly with your thoughts, is that you're not attached to having to prolong or persist or preserve certain thoughts and make them not go away. They will come and they will go. All right. So non-attachment to thoughts, non-attachment to emotions, non-attachment to certain perceptions. You have a way of seeing things. And then you feel like it's shifting. And then you think, no, I shouldn't let it shift. I should still see it the same way. No, allow it to shift. Non-attachment to perceptions. Let your, you can, in your wise mind, you can ultimately assess what direction you want to take at a given time. But right now, to non-attach yourself to your perceptions, to certain sensations. Of course, you like feeling better. So you wish you could prolong that good feeling you're having, but actually the nature of good feelings is they come and they go. And that bad feeling you're having, you want to avoid it. The nature of feelings is they come and they go. And sort of it'll be back anyway. It's really hard to just wall it out. So this is sort of, uh, non-attachment to all of these different shoulds, things you think should be a certain way or you want it to be a certain way, okay, but you're also allowing things to be as they are. So that's the second principle. The first one is presence. The second one is non-attachment. The third one is impermanence, which is that you become aware when you're in wise mind that things are always changing. Things are always changing. And this can be distressing if you think they shouldn't be changing. You should feel the same way you felt yesterday. You should like the person the way you liked them yesterday. Um, you should have the same point of view you had yesterday. No, it's sort of the recognition of impermanence is to recognize that every, every, every single thing down to the smallest subparticle of a molecule that you can imagine is always changing and that you will change, and your friends will change, and your body will change. And so it's, again, non-attachment to thinking that things should stay the same, because they just don't. And you will miss reality if you are too addicted to the idea that things shouldn't change. Now, you might become aware that you're the kind of person who doesn't want things to change, and that can be helpful. That could be a helpful insight. Gee, things do change, and I'm the kind of person that doesn't want things to change, and that's painful for me. That's just recognizing a source of disappointment, a source of pain, and you can live with that. And that's a wiser place to be, you might say, than thinking you shouldn't, things shouldn't be changing, because you're rec recognizing things do change. It's just I have difficulty with that. The fourth uh, quality is the aware, another form of awareness, the awareness of how deeply interdependent all of us are on each other, on our context, on nature, on the world, on our families, on our interactions, is that we are deeply interdependent, probably well beyond what we can even imagine, that our, our current experience is shaped is 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 shaped by our relationship to others in fact the deeper understanding of this in buddhism is discussions of emptiness and teachings about emptiness which basically says that there's really nothing in any one of us that is the defining feature of who we are 
that we are the intersection of so many other people, factors, forces, contexts, that we are constantly changing and that we are influencing what's around us and that we are influenced by what's around us. And so just to let go again of this idea that we shouldn't be influenced, we shouldn't be shaped, and we shouldn't be shaping others and just accept, no, we're part of an interdependent community where there's constant motion, constant shaping of each other, constant reinforcement and validation of each other or invalidation of each other. And just to be aware of that, that that's a wiser place to be than to deny that that's the case. And the final uh, perspective or final quality I'm talking about is the quality of recognizing, being aware that everything is as it is because it had to be that way, because of everything that came before. You know, that the talk I'm giving now is a product of everything that came before this talk for me. The way I'm giving this talk, the way I'm holding my hands right now, the way my voice is right now, my, my inflections, my tone of voice, the way my mind runs, all came from my past. It came from my family. It came from other people. It came from teachers of mine. It came, it was shaped by other people I've interacted with uh, right up to this moment. So it's kind of like letting go of this kind of ego sense of uh, thinking, well, I am this kind of person and I'm better than that kind of person. No, you know what? I'm just what I am. I am what I am as a result of everything that has been. And it is what it is. It isn't like great or terrible. It might be painful or not painful, but it isn't. It's not something to write home about, <laughs> whatever that means. So, okay, I wanted to say all of those things. I hope that there's been something in this sort of whole, oh gosh, cornucopia of comments about wise mind that could be helpful to you in trying to use it because it's so valuable. And I just want to close with telling you that it, it is hard to use when things are hard. And it's easier to use when things are easier. And it's probably a good idea to be using it regularly, to, to be activating your wise mind, getting into wise mind about all kinds of little things in your life. Um, I don't mean to be trivializing little things, but obviously some things are more challenging than others. And that, because then if you face a very challenging situation and you can't access wise mind, then you make decisions and do things without the help of wise mind. And wise mind is not there to rescue you from a difficult situation where the forces are bigger than you are. And that's what happened to me not long ago in my life. And I'm not going to share the intimate details here because again, like something I said earlier in this podcast, I mean, this is just, I want to draw from this personal example, but I don't want to share the personal details for it just wouldn't be appropriate. But I do want to say that um, I went through a situation where there were mounting pressures on me in different directions. I'm sure you've been there in your life. How could you not have been there? It's part of being a human being, part of being just an organism in the world. Um, but I, I went through uh, where there were growing pressures in different directions on me and, and what I wanted to do and what I was doing and how I was doing what I was doing. And uh, I was trying to cope with that. I was becoming a little erratic. I wasn't grasping. I wasn't in wise mind. I wasn't 
appreciating the state that I was in, in which my back and forth behavior and back and forth decision making and back and forth experiences were actually reflective of back and forth pressures within me and around me that if I paid more attention to, if I saw from a one step removed point of view and saw myself and stayed in touch, but also saw, oh, Charlie, look what's happening. You're doing this and you're doing that. And it sort of reflects that there's these growing pressures and maybe you should sort of take stock of that, get some insight about that, do some mindfulness practice with this in mind, use some of these strategies of going to the bottom of the pond or the bottom of the staircase and just take time, get settled, take space. But I didn't do those things. I didn't appreciate the degree to which things were going the way they were going. It's just boggles my mind when I think of it now. I mean, and yet it happens all the time. I guess the mind is so complicated and life is so complicated sometimes when so many things are going on that you don't realize that something is happening. Like take, for example, oh, this is not an example of that. It, it, there's something going on in your body, which is basically saying, hey, I need attention. And you're doing 40 other things, so you don't pay attention to what's going on in your body. And then uh, it grows a little bit and says, hey, I need attention. I, I'm, there's trouble here in this part of my body, and I don't pay attention to it. And then next thing I know, uh, I've lost the opportunity to intervene wisely and mindfully and early and do something about it. And next thing I know, I'm dealing with a crisis. Well, that's sort of what happened with me in this life situation. It, by, not, by not being mindful, by not being in wise mind, by not noticing what was going on, not taking the time and the space and settling and getting into my own center, uh, things evolved to the point where it was a bit of a crisis. And then I, I felt that I needed to make uh, a, a sort of a judgment about something and go a certain direction and make a certain decision. And I did that in a way that was not dialectical, uh, that didn't honor the truth of all sides, uh, that didn't get into wise mind, that didn't settle down, that didn't take the time and space, that didn't realize that there would have been many options if only I had taken the time and space and gotten into wise mind. And instead, I just made a decision based on resolving the pressures of the moment and going in directions uh, of what some other people were suggesting that I do, which actually might not have been my way of doing it. Uh, but I had sort of lost my wisdom and lost my, to some degree, my agency and made a decision that was based on part a part understanding of the situation. And I regretted it. Um, I regretted how I made a decision, how I communicated decisions, and, uh, and, and the ultimate outcome of it. Uh, that um, was really unfortunate from my point of view. So I just want to offer that without giving you the details because it wouldn't be appropriate, but I wanted to offer to you, you know, I think that there's lots of opportunities to use wise mind and there's lots of opportunities to fail to use wise mind and especially when the pressures mount. So I think it's at those times that we really need to get ourselves to step aside, to use that stop skill to stop doing what we're doing, to stop going in the direction we're going because we know it isn't quite right, but we don't know what to do. Take a step back, stay in touch with yourself and your situation, but take a step back from it. 
you know, that are captured by some of these practices that Linehan put out there um, and, and observe and become mindful and get into a wise mind state and then proceed mindfully, that that's a really wise four-step procedure within which you activate wise mind in one of the many ways I've been talking about. So I just wanted to go over that with you. Um, I hope it's useful to hear that. I hope you can see in your own life where and when you might have done the same thing or where and when you might in the future do something like that um, and just become more skillful. You know, For every one of us that becomes wiser and, and, and activates wise mind more, uh, it'll make the world a better place um, because we're all so interdependent. Final statement coming out of that scenario I told you about, beware a little bit of doing what I did at one point when the pressure was building for me, and then I would do something, and then I would do something else, and I wasn't really taking stock of the of reconciling what did, what's going on in me. Um, and then in my own mind, I tried to justify the different things I was doing by saying, oh, well, I'm doing that because of wise mind. I'm in wise mind to do that. It's really, a, it cheapens the concept this rather deep and important concept of wise mind to just use the words as if the words have some magic power. Uh, when you say wise mind, it's sort of like there's a lot of other things in life like this where you just use certain words, say, well, God told me to do this, or well, the devil made me do that, or well, the dog ate my homework, or well, you know, it's like you don't want to use something as precious as wise mind in a facile superficial way that cheapens the concept and it doesn't move you forward at all. In fact, it deludes you into thinking you're actually being wise when you really haven't gone through the process. So that's it for today. I'll just tell you what's coming in the upcoming podcasts because I haven't been doing podcasts for a while. I will be getting back to do an interview with Lisa Cohn, person who was in the uh, Reverend Moon sect. Uh, in her childhood and back in the 70s and has an amazing story about being in the cult of the Reverend Moon sect in New York uh, back then and then uh, and then what it had what it took to get herself gradually out of that. She wrote a book called uh, To the Moon and Back, which is really good. So she's coming up. Another thing coming up and probably the next thing that gets posted is going to be about um, neurodiversity. You know, neurodiversity, this concept that we all have different nervous systems, we all have different brains, we apply ourselves to information in different ways in the world, we move in different ways, we think in different ways, and that that's just the nature of reality, without having to um, label some ways the, the right ways and others the wrong ways, some ways the abled, the, way, the ability and some others a disability, and it grew out of the uh, really the, the uh, advocacy and understanding about autism and autism spectrum disorder. So it'll be about neurodiversity, autism, to some degree ADHD, and applications in the world of DBT. And this will probably be a series of three. So pay attention to these if you're interested in this topic that a lot of people have been asking more about. I'm also going to start doing a series now and then of interviewing DBT experts in the field about uh, not just what is their current work, which they talk about all the time, but where did it come from? Like, who are they? Uh, what in their personal lives or their experiences, either 
personally or professionally, drove them to do what they're doing, choosing to work with, um, you know, really difficult to treat people, uh, painful issues like suicide and severe loss and emotion dysregulation. What is, what is it behind the curtain of these experts? The first one of these I'll do, which will soon be posted, will be with Alan Frizzetti. Uh, and then there'll be uh, others after that. And there'll be other topics coming up and I'm open to suggestions from you and feedback from you. Really, uh, I love, love, love getting that feedback. I sometimes get it by emails and you can email me directly at c.robert.swenson at gmail.com or you can email me through my website or you can post comments wherever you watch the podcast and I try to retrieve those. So, so uh, there you go. I look forward to more podcasts. I look forward to talking to you and I look forward to hearing from you. So be well, everybody, and um, practice wise mind. Bye-bye.